this week, I want to just uh, dial it back just a little bit as Joel prophesies God restoring years to his people. It says this in Joel chapter 2, God, we stand in your presence. It says this, the prophetic word, the trees are bearing their fruit, the fig tree and the vine yield their riches. Be glad, O people of Zion, rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the autumn rains in righteousness. He has sent abundance of showers, both autumn and spring rains as before. The threshing floors will be full with grain. The vats will overflow with new wine and oil. And I will repay. repay. I want you to hear this link, church. As you stand, I want you to stand in this truth. God says through Joel the prophet, years before Jesus comes, and in Jesus we have the fulfillments of it. He says, I will repay for the years that the locusts have eaten. Some translations believe that locusts speaks of the sin of humanity or where men have fallen short. And Joel prophesies that God will repay what we have fallen short with in extreme measure. Amen. So Father, we stand expectant this morning uh, in very undeserved grace, but knowing that you fulfill your promise and prophecy, which is to repay in full and more what the years have stolen from your people. And so I pray today, God, Spirit of God, come breathe again. Fill up our hearts, fill up our lives, restore the years that have been taken, God. Those that we've missed out on, those that we've wished for again, God, I pray that you'd restore to your church now in this moment today, by the power of your presence, a new day. Everyone said? All right, you may take your seats, but if you get excited at any point, you can jump up and scream. That's okay too. Um, I want you to know, friends, being the church is, is an unfair advantage. Do you get that part? It's an unfair advantage because actually we're very ordinary people. Um, if anyone's watching us online and they're wondering like what's Link Church all about, like cool building on a hill and these people maybe have, no, very ordinary people. We just serve a very supernatural God. And, and that's been the story of Israel is that as we've, as we've gone on the Israel journey, we've realized that actually they are such ordinary people. They're just like us, but they trust in a supernatural God. And I, I realized as I was standing here in worship that, that many times we, we come to church or we approach our lives as humans with a lot of flesh and a little bit of faith. And so the, the kind of standard is we're in this world, we've got questions, we're not sure, we, we made it yesterday, tomorrow we're unsure of, and, and our flesh is kind of doing its thing. And then we have this little bit of faith that says, but God, we just, we just want to see you move or trust you. And actually God wants to flip that inside out so that his church lives with a lot of faith and just a little bit of flesh that carries it. He, wa he wants you to see that the greatest gift of your life is not what's around you, it's what's inside you. Tap your neighbor and say, it's on the inside. I believe with all my heart that as our eyes see the world around us failing, economies falling, uh, relationships being torn apart, I believe with all my heart that there are a group of people living by faith, restoring from the inside out everything God has put inside them. And yes, we're the church and we're part of that story. But across the planet, friends, there are people uniting in grace because of God's Spirit in their hearts. And they're restoring the land from the inside out. In Israel, oh, we're going to preach today. I hope you're ready for this. 
In Israel, there's a little area called Ariel. I wish I had a photo. I didn't prep the team for this. This is off script. But Ariel is in the West Bank, which you've probably heard of. Uh, Bible talk, Samaria. West Bank, modern day. And the West Bank is Palestinian territory. And uh, there are different rankings to how it works. And so in Palestinian territory, there's an A, a B, and a C ranking to how intense that territory is and where the Jewish people fit in. And A is like, you don't go there. B is you go there, but you pass through. C is you can, you can live there, but it's not your place. It's like a weird, anyway, don't worry, talk about that another day. And so uh, Ariel is C. So Jewish people can, can move through this area of Palestine and position themselves there. They can make home there. And so we stayed in a little hotel there, which was not the highlight of the trip by any means. There was literally a bomb um, shrapnel in the foyer as we walked in because there had been a terrorist bombing there at one stage. And so you get the feeling that it's not a very safe place. And Dubs and I, it's three o'clock in the afternoon, it's our first day in the Holy Land, and we, we're itching for some adrenaline, I don't know why, and I send a message to a few friends, I say, who's keen for a run? And uh, so Dubs, who is forever keen, says to me, I'm in. Are you sure this is good? I said, no, but we're going to run. And so we uh, go to the foyer, we speak to the receptionist, say, do you think it's cool if we go for a little jog through the town here? He says, yeah, sure. Um, but what you want to do is when you go down to the robot, uh, the circle, you want to hit a right, and then you want to hit a left. And he said, there's a little area across the hill there called Ariel, and you want to get there. And then you can run around there, and that'll be fun. So off we go, we jog down the road, and uh, we, we hit a left at the turning circle. And 100 meters up the road, uh, literally in like a little cubicle. Like remember on the edge of the oil refinery in Durban, there were those little pods that used to stand on the outside. No one really knew what happened there. Looked a bit like those, but it was standing on the side of the road. And they're lying on an uh, aiming pad or a gun pad. I don't know what you call them, but that like, like resting thing. There is a rifle staring at the road in case anything goes down. And we just, what's up? How's it, guys? I mean, bearing in mind, we're not the enemy, right? So you've got to keep reminding yourself we're safe. We run through about seven of these, and then we decide we should be going the other direction. So we turn around, we run in the other direction. On the way back, we decide to take a photo with one of the soldiers just so we can tell a story that people actually believe. And so we did that, and I'll find that for the second service. Uh, but then we get to this little town, we run up the hill into this aerial community, and it feels like we're in Stellenbosch. It's like, I cannot describe the stark contrast between the road we were on and 100 meters up the hill, the community we're now in. Turns out Ariel is a little Jewish community in Palestine, and it's one of the fastest growing Jewish communities on the planet. It has one of the best schools on the planet. It has one of the greatest universities on the planet. Literally, if you talk about Ariel in Jewish culture, they will say, that's a wow factor. Well, this is happening right in the middle of Palestinian conflict. Friends, I want to tell you, the kingdom grows from the inside out. All that to say, everything around can be falling apart. But if you get the Spirit of God on the inside, if you let the waters flow, you can change things. And we can build what people fly across the world to come and experience right here on the north coast. Amen. Three people excited. I believe this. We can shape the future. We can change things, but not from the outside. We don't need everyone to buy in. We just need the Spirit of God to burn in our hearts to show us the next step. All right, I better start preaching what I really want to say today. The title of my message is Time is on Your Side. Have you ever... Um, 
Have you ever had the thought that time is running out? <laughs> Don't raise your hands, the whole room's involved here. Um, like parents, have you, ever, have you ever had the thought like I've just lost time? Like, like my kids are big now and time's gone. Like it's, it's gone. Or, or maybe, maybe you've, you've grown up and you've grown older in your years, let's say, and you feel like I've just, my time is out. Like I'm, I'm reaching the end of my life or I can see the end. And it just feels like time is, you use these words, gone. Um, I know COVID did this for us. I don't know about you, but I haven't spoken about COVID much because I didn't care about it too much. But um, it's amazing when you look back, I have these thoughts like, what happened in those years? Like what happened? My little boy went from two to five. When did that happen? When did he like... Get anyone else identifying with what I'm saying? Anyone feel like uh, there, there, are, there are moments where we just lose time? There's just this tract of time. It's gone. Is it wasted? Is it uh, like what happened in, in South Africa in those years? What happened? In, and if you've had that thought, I want to speak to you today and bring you a very strong encouragement from the Word of God that time is on your side. Tap your neighbor and say, time is on your side. Time is on your side. All right, let's read Isaiah chapter 60. It's a prophetic word of God restoring the glory of Zion. It's a beautiful uh, passage of scripture. I actually encourage you to go and read all of it. It's 22 verses. It's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. They would believe it's a, psalm, uh, a prophetic word of completion. Uh, it lacks nothing. And in fact, I was reading one commentary saying this is a reversal prophecy, which is to say God is giving everything back that's been taken. And, and so it's, it's just an amazing story and prophecy. But it starts like this, Isaiah 60, chapter, uh, verse 1, it says, Arise and shine, for your light has come. Now he's speaking to a people Israel, which would ultimately be the story of the church as well. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory, shout glory, church. Glory is a Hebrew word, chavot, which is the weight of God. In fact, um, in, the, in the tabernacle, everything was given a size and dimension, everything. The, the curtains and the, the table and the showbread and the everything, except for this one instrument called the menorah, which is a picture of the churches. It has seven buds on top, Jesus at the center, it's called the menorah, and it was not given a size or a dimension, it was given a weight. Because God isn't here to measure the size of his church. He wants to know the weight she carries. What's in us. And so when he says the glory of the Lord, he's speaking about the weight of my people. The glory of the Lord. When I get in my people, I'm not going to just multiply their business or you know, expand their territories. I'm going I'm to put a weightiness in them that they carry a presence that this world needs. And it's going to be a restoration season. And the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth. Thick darkness is over the people. But the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. This is Isaiah 60, Old Testament prophecy. I'm going to fast track to the end of this um, chapter. In verse 22, it says this. The least of you will become a thousand. The smallest, the mighty nation. I am the Lord. And in its time... I will do this swiftly. Tap your neighbor and say, time is on your side. I want you to see, friends, that we are, when we are in Christ, time is on our side. We haven't lost time. We are in time. We are on time because it's His time and it's different to the clock that we live by. 
And so you haven't, you haven't thrown away yours or you haven't uh, left your children to guess for themselves. No, you are on time and in time because it's his time. He says, I'm the Lord and I will do it swiftly in my time, which is to say when God moves, he moves. No questions. When God starts to do things, he does them according to his plan, not ours. That's kind of what he's saying. Dealing church, thank you for all the planning you've done for the last 10 decades. I just want to let you know that I'm about to interrupt them with some better ones. And when I move, it actually happens. And so if you don't mind, put your strategies, which you should have. They're good, they're good for you. Just put them one side because I will do it swiftly in my time. Do what? What he decides. The one thing I'm learning the more I build church and raise family and show up in this country is it's less about what I want, although that's not a bad desire and more about what he wants for me in this place. Because it's so much bigger. And so time is on your side. Time is on your side. I remind parents all the time, he loves your children far more than you do. And so what you've left, he will fill with his grace. He's that good. Some people say that Isaiah 60 is a prophecy of light and large. How beautiful is that? Is that... Isaiah is prophesying and speaking into a time where Jesus will come and light will shine in dark places and his people will live large and expansive lives. But he says in that little detail that the least of you will become a thousand, the smallest of mighty nation. I'm the Lord and it's time. I will do it swiftly. All right, turn with me to John chapter 2. We're in the New Testament now. I want to show you a little map before I read this. Uh, there's a map of Galilee. You'll see the Sea of Galilee. Uh, team, if you can put that up for me. And this is where Jesus would have done most of his ministry. And just to give you a bit of context, uh, Jesus was um, walking to his next town, not running and not flying and not rushing. And he was just walking. He was just being Jesus. Uh, it would be like you going to lunch after this and everything changing. And um, it would be like you um, just dropping your kids at school and on the way God does something in the car and it's supernatural. You know what I'm saying? Like very human stories. Um, but supernatural outcomes. And so he would have done much of his ministry around the Sea of Galilee or Tiberias. And there you can see just on the left, there's a place called Cana. Now we're going to pick up on a story, you know, the wedding in Cana. But you can see it's just off track. In fact, Cana means uh, the place of the reed or measuring stick. Jesus did things in a place with great significance. He's gonna, he's gonna, the measuring stick is almost like a, a subtle uh, indication that he's about to measure up against everything else in life and show us who he is. Okay, and so that's Cana and Galilee, and we're going to pick up the story at a wedding. Let's read it together. I'm excited to let you know that time is on your side. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Like moms. Like, you see things in your kids that no one else sees. Huh? And sometimes you're not sure what to do with it because no one else is affirming the same thing that you believe in. Speak it. If, if you see something in your children and you're worried about society having an opinion of what you see, don't worry about society. Speak into your children. Mary was the mother of Jesus. Newsflash, she could see something in him. She was still figuring out everything. But she could see that this guy carried something no one else does. So she speaks to him and not to anyone else. 
Anyway, mom's permission to speak. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Kids, oh, mom. Jesus is a child. He's, he's not a child, but he's, he, he, he's still got a very human, uh, boy-like response to his mom. Honestly, woman, like really? Like now? Like the, the doting parents? Let my child speak. Let my child sing. Let my child dance. And he's like, honestly, mom, just shh. They'll decide when they want it, you know? Can you see how natural the story is? I bet you read it so differently before. I just read it so normal. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my time, Kairos, appointed time, has not yet come. I, the Lord, will do it swiftly in its time. My appointed time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, totally ignoring Jesus, I don't know if you saw that part, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone jars, water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing. I got a little picture of what the jars might have looked like just to give you some perspective. But I think sometimes in our minds, we can imagine it to be quite fancy. Well, there's a water jar, and they would ceremonially wash their hands before going into a person's house or for a meal. It was a very basic procedure, and so those jars were on hand. Jesus used what was right there. I hope throughout this series you realize Jesus used the landscape around him and the context of where he was at to prove things that were way higher than what people could see. He's going to use very ordinary things around you, friends, water jars, to do supernatural things. I guess I could ask the question, what's your water jar? And so let's keep reading. Jesus says to the servants, basically obeying his mom, sons, if you're in the house, my turn to talk to you. Just listen to your moms. They're generally all right. Fill the jars with water, so they filled them to the brim, and then he told them, draw some out, take it to the master of the banquet, and so they did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned to wine. He did not realize where it had come from, of course, because they had a wedding, and that's a hand-washing jar, and Jesus' servants didn't look like angels, they just looked like other Jews. So he must have looked around and gone, what just happened? Like, very ordinary people showed up at Link Church. You know what I mean? I think sometimes people walk in here and they see what God is doing and they hear stories of what we're about. And if I'm honest, I, I, like, I think you should realistically look around and go, I don't know how that happened. I, I checked out Dill and his team. It's just not that impressive. Oh, no, everyone said, no, it's actually not like, guys, come on, heads up. Let's just humble ourselves in the presence of the Lord here. We are not that impressive. We're just ordinary human beings showing up to a story that God has invited us into. And now this guy's drinking wine. Big deal in those days. I don't have time to speak about the honor Jesus gave the bridegroom. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water, they knew, they knew. I know, when God moves, where that come from? Mm, I know, it wasn't me, and it wasn't our worship team, and it wasn't our prayer team, and it wasn't those serving your kids. We're just the water jars. There were six water jars, six is the number of man. Jesus intentionally used six water jars, filled them with water, why? presence of his Holy Spirit. Guys, we've just come off Pentecost. It's the same story unfolding in a different place. He's giving us a picture of what happens when water gets in jars. Wine starts to flow. 
And we're so desperate to produce wine, but we haven't even given him our jar. God, I want to do great things for you. Well, open your hands, release your life, let me pour myself in and watch the wine flow. Then he called the bride group aside and said, everyone brings the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine off tussies after the guests have had too much to drink. (laughs) A little bit of South African context there. You can laugh, Link Church. Wine is a thing. This is the first of his miraculous signs. In the book of John, he calls them signs. The miracles are called signs because they point to something greater. You know, we go after miracles because we want the miracle, but John calls them signs because the miracle points to something greater. The miracle isn't there to serve you, it's to serve him. It's to display his glory. Watch what happens next. Save the best for last till now. This is the first time of his miraculous signs Jesus performed at Canaan and Galilee. He thus revealed his glory. The weightiness of what he carries. And his disciples put their faith in him. All right, let's talk about this for just a moment, and then we're going to sing with faith. Jesus is at this wedding. The wine's run out. It's a disgrace to not have enough to host people. And so Jesus steps in, well, actually his mom steps in, and uh, Jesus obeys his mom. We're still trying to figure out why he said the time's not now, and then he did what she said, and his details we're still figuring out. But the one thing we're sure of is that he moves on it and he says to his boys, six jars full with water, a picture of us being filled by his grace, and then there's wine. And so I've heard this story preached in many ways, but when I was building up to Israel, I was reading it quite a bit because I knew we were going to go there, and I was asking God to show me something, and he starts to show me how time is on our side. Let me explain. Wine takes time to produce. I'm not a wine farmer. If you are, Help me out with dates here, but I'm going to give it a go. Between five and seven years to produce a crop that is worthy of wine. All right? Five to seven years. Four to six. Who knows? Three. Fill in the blanks. But it's not five seconds at a wedding. And so it takes time to produce any form of wine, let alone the best wine. Did you notice that part in the story? The best wine. It takes time to produce any wine. Jesus has got involved and makes the best wine. And it's happening in a moment. Remember Isaiah 60? Can you see how whatever God says, he sees? Can you see how we are living in the fulfillment of prophecy? Can you understand why it's not what we plan, it's what he plans. It's just for us to get in alignment with what he's doing. And so the wine starts to flow and the guest of the party says, this is unbelievable. This is the best wine. I shared this with a small group of friends recently. I mentioned how it takes time to produce wine, up to seven years to produce some good wine. He sent me a message a few um, hours later to say, 25 for great wine, Dill. I was a little bit out. It takes time to produce wine. Jesus, friends, in this moment, listen to this, showing the weight of his glory. See what he said in Joel the prophet? He will restore the years that have been taken from you. Then Isaiah says, this is the God who reverses all things and restores the glory of Zion, the weightiness of his house, which is not what his people can pull off in their strength. It's what I will do in my people when they give me their lives. And now Jesus is at a wedding. It's the first miracle. And what's he displaying? The glory of the Lord and doing what? The Lord of time. He is the Lord of time, friends. And the weightiness of God as it gets into our spirits should make us feel like we are in His time. We are on time. 
Do you know the first two miracles of the book of John are this one, and then he heals an official's son. Both in Cana, the reed stick, the measuring stick, Jesus. Let me show you how I have authority over time, wine. And then he heals an official son, you can go and read it, who he didn't even get to the house of, so space. The Lord of time and the Lord of space. And the reed stick was out and Jesus lined up and he said, friends, it's not about what you can do where you are at or on the time that you have. It's about me being Lord of both the time that is eternal and the space where I go. Which is to say, if God is on your side or if you carry his presence, he can do things where you aren't even going. The official comes to Jesus and said, my son's dying. He's sick. Can you do something? Jesus said, he's well now. And it says, as the official's walking home, he gets news of a, of a messenger running back to him. Your son's already well. He says, what took place? And they figured out, go read the story. It says, what time did it happen? They figured out the same time Jesus spoke, his son was healed miles away. You saw the map in, in Capernaum on the lake. Why am I preaching all this? Why am I so passionate about this? I wanted to call this message the clock and the call because we live on the clock, but God has given us a call. The next step, my next attempt, my next adventure, my next God, if I, if I can just, any, any, anyone ever felt like there's not enough time in the day? Friends, we're on the wrong system. <laughs> I'm never going to win back the time with my children. No, not if you're on the clock. But if you're called and you just do what He's called you to do, He will do things in your children when you aren't even around. Why does He step into the story and show Himself Lord of time? God, i got dreams, i got dreams. Well, then trust Him. God, You've shown me things. You've called me to things. Well, then trust Him. Now, I'm just like you. It's not easy. But if, if I've given him my life, then I've also given him my time. And if I've given him my time, I'm going to say it again, then I'm always on time. I'm 40 this year. Someone said to me, I know, don't look a day over 25. Keep talking, Panther. I'll keep listening. Come on, keep going. Just beef it up. It's the Dead Sea. And someone said, well, many people said, so excited for you, Dill, as you reach the halfway mark in your life. I bound the halfway mark in my life. I'm going 120, 121, 122. Halfway mark according to what? Ah, according to the clock. Now, this is not to judge those who said this. I love you to bits. Don't worry. It's all good. It's just that that's not how I see it. I think God could do more with me when I turn 65 in three days than He's done for the 65 years building up to that, which is an encouragement to someone who's in the room feeling like they're 74, not sure what's next. I, the Lord, in His time, I will do it swiftly. I'm the Lord of harvest. I can take wine. I can do 25 years of work in one moment. My children have left the home. Their house wasn't a good place that they grew up with. And I'm in the church still, but my, the cry of my heart was still for those children. Ah, the Lord will do it swiftly in its time.
I can compress 25 years of average into awesome in just a moment. Why though? Why would he do that? To display the weight of his glory. Let me tell you, church, time is on your side. But only if you live by the call of God that's on your life, not the clock that's ticking. There's a song I listened to recently, it's called History, but it's written his story. And these are the lyrics of the chorus, they're so beautiful. It says, oh, what a masterpiece that's still unfolding. Time is the ink inside the pen that he's holding. We'll see his majesty written in glory because all of history is just his story. I want you to stand with me today because I know like I know that when I walked into this room, if you're anything like me, there would have been things you felt that you'd lost out on. Time wasted, time gone, not enough time. And I wanna say this to you with conviction and clarity. God does not want time to control you. He wants to control time for you. God, I'm going to speak to my friends here, does not want time to control you. He wants to control time for you. And I wonder if we can position ourselves in this next season just a little more willing to give Him the glory for things that He did when we had nothing to offer and a little more expectance for him to speed up, slow down, expand, contract, do whatever he has to do to take control of time for you and I in our lives. Come on, if you have faith, just open your hands, close your eyes. This is not a three-point message. This is a receive the word of God and trust it. I want to read how the story ends in Cana just as your eyes are closed. It's a beautiful thing. It says, it's the first of the miraculous signs that he performed in Cana and Galilee. He thus revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith in him. His disciples put their faith in him. As one fine preacher said, your obedience to God is your peace in this world. Their disciples put their faith in him. And so Jesus...